Hey, illiterate listeners and Podbean listeners out there, we've got stickers, and I use them as bookmarks. Stickers, illiterate stickers. They're poppy, they're cool, they're yellow, they're red. And you can get them for free. Free! All you have to do is reach out to us at illiteratepod. Taylor, what's our email? If they want to email. Illiterate at email.com. Just reach out to us. Tell us what you're reading. Tell us what you're watching. Tell us a funny joke. Curse at us. Tell us what you hate about the show. Tell us what you love about the show. We will send you back a sticker and it's free. I use them as bookmarks when I'm reading my books. I read books. I know it's incredible. If you want free stuff, all you have to do is reach out to us at illiteratepod on Instagram, illiterate at email.com. Get that free stuff and enjoy the show. Here we go. Welcome, everybody. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a speech this week. I watched a movie. This week we're doing Selma. Martin Luther King Jr. It was his birthday this week, and I had never seen the film. Uh, This is the only theatrical feature film about the man ever done, and it's pretty staggering. So today we're going to talk about the movie and Martin Luther King Jr. as an author. He's most known for his oratory and speeches, as well as obviously intellectual property of the estate. (laughs) Just so you all know, copy wrote. Copy wrote and <laughs> written. written. <laughs> and we'll cover that and what his legacy means now and for the future and for entertainment at large and our perception of him. Firstly, though, the movie, like you said, came out in 2014. Ava DuVernay is the director and Ava DuVernay. rewriter. Immediately, it actually caught the attention of the lead actor that ended up playing um, MLK in this version, David Ayelowo. Eventually, Lee Daniels came on on board to direct it. Uh, They brought somebody else on. And from what I understand, that kind of devolved. He went away from the picture and he went on to do The Butler. Um, This gal, Ava, says she wrote, rewrote 90% of the script. Of course, at this time in 2009, as Evan mentioned, copywritten, The King's Estate has all of his word-for-word stuff on lock. They, in a rare situation, which I couldn't find any reason why, licensed them to Warner Brothers oh, really? in relation to Steven Spielberg. So that's what happened in 2009. Oh. So that's why they couldn't use, and he has the life rights and all that stuff. So she had to rewrite all of the speeches and all of the things that are known historically for him to have said. It's pretty staggering. Um, I'm, I'm more and more shocked by the end. By the end of it, I'm just like, no way. Where did she get this? How did how did how did this happen? How did she? How can she possibly get this clip? I mean, it's incredible. Well, a lot of times she just replaced a word with another word, like uh-huh. ballot instead of vote, mm. for for key phrases and things like that. But she did mimic his cadence of repeating things in threes and repeating the beginning of a phrase. Mm. I have a dream. Yeah, see, I wanted thing, to know. know. Yeah, yeah, that kind like, of stuff. She I did bet. work on. <sighs> they they did a magic trick in front of a camera. They did a magic trick. It is so successful in making you believe that it is the it is the gospel. Um, yeah. Well, and even in David's voice, I was looking into it, and he said he kept the voice they had worked to try and not for him to imitate, but to just become that cadence and yeah. style of speaking. Yeah. And so she said that he kept it and not it wasn't method like he wasn't Martin Luther King Jr. at craft services right. <laughs> getting lunch, but he kept the style of speaking and voice through the three months that he was in the production. So he was just speaking that way all day at home with his family, all throughout the set, not in character, but just <laughs> but that. Dude, just in that voice. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh man, that would have been yeah. The, the funny thing the funny thing Go about- to bed, David. <laughs> I will not <laughs> 
the last little thing about Spielberg and his interest in it, apparently at some AFI event, which is the American Film Institute event, after Selma had come out, Spielberg went up to David Oyelowo and asked him, hey, you know, I really love this. Would you be interested in reprising the role? Whoa, really? Yeah. No way. And That uh, will be crazy <laughs> if that happens. If he does reprise the role as <laughs> in like MLK, five years, oh, what in the world? That will be incredible. And but also would, scandal. I mean, I thought I think it would almost be an embrace of of Selma in a way of being like, uh, yeah, that was that because uh, then yeah. how do they handle that three months within? If he's doing a cra- if they're if they're doing a cradle to grave biopic on him. How, are you going to skip over Selma and like, or you, you know, go to the edges and be like, well, there is a movie about this particular time, you know, if you don't cover that and just be like, yeah, that was it. Maybe that's a crazy embrace, but you say a scandal how? Well, just because they already made it and it didn't get the recognition that most people thought it would. Right. And and I and I totally agree. But to that point, if the filmmakers then, if Spielberg goes on and says, actually, yeah, that is valid. I'm not even going to touch that those right. couple of months. I'm going to use the same actor and say that. Look now, there are two movies, and it's yeah. continuity. Now it's a now it's a shared universe. There's a Martin that. Luther <laughs> King cinematic universe. Yeah, <laughs> we we can only yo. Can we get Abe Lincoln in this piece? How can we connect them? This will be crazy. The reason <laughs> On that the this is <laughs> <laughs> Evan just wants every historical thing. Oh my and god! The, the only the reason this has been so complicated and why. There's a movie about Martin Luther King Jr., the only one that we know that came out in 2014. <laughs> Why in the world has this taken so long? Why? A big part of it is, like we said, the the rights and the copyright. And unfortunately, there's a ton of drama with the estate and his family. Hmm. So, for example, his son, Martin III, and Dexter sued their sister, Bernice. <gasps> like, there's infighting within the family because she rejected on the bid to auction King's Nobel Peace Prize and oh Travel God. Bible. There was also... When the National Museum of African American History opened up very recently in Washington, D.C., which is a part of the Smithsonian Institute, there was nothing of Martin Luther King Jr.'s there because they wouldn't give anything to the Smithsonian. Oh, my God. And so it's like they are so which is why it's so bizarre to me that they in 2009, they were like, sure, have all of his speeches. Uh, yeah, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> How I had no idea. So that's this why is bizarre. Yeah, so that's why there's not a lot of stuff that is fiction. I mean, there's a lot of documentaries and things right. on him, but there aren't a lot of recreations. A notable one that life. our audiences can see for free that I that I was hap- I happened to find on YouTube. It's up. Uh, I think it was put up for free by the production company. It's called King in the Wilderness. Uh-huh. Uh, it was an HBO documentary that came out in 2018 uh, by the. Kundhart Film Foundation. Uh, they put it up on their mm-hmm. YouTube page, so it's totally legal and totally free for anybody to go see. It's about two hours. I skimmed through parts right. of it, but it looked really great. It has yeah. some brand new interviews with with uh, all of the people who are still around. It looked great. Yeah. Um, so um, The other big documentary that most people would be interested in is called Eyes on the Prize, which came out via PBS in 1987. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, episode six because it covers the whole civil rights movement mm-hmm, up to mm-hmm. modern times. And it was 
episode six was the Selma one. It was nominated at the 1988 Oscars for best documentary really? feature because the episodes are pretty lengthy. So it wasn't even in the TV oh, category. Wow. Yeah. Oh um, man, that's amazing. And again, and it's so fascinating. There are copyright issues with this in regards to the original source material of the documentary film and not even related to the King what? estate. But for a time, it was just completely missing from 1993 to 2006 and people thought they would never be able to air it or reproduce it because they couldn't get the rights oh figured gosh. out for the documentary material that they had cobbled together for this. So there was a whole project called Eyes on the Screen since this thing is called Eyes on the Prize where people were distributing it via torrents and file yeah. sharing sites to uh -huh. try and keep it alive yeah. before they shut it down. Eventually it, it all the copyright stuff got worked out and now it's on DVD. Okay. You know, PBS re-released it, but Pretty that whole from right? 93 to 2006, gotcha. there was concern that all of this was going to be for naught, this wonderful, wonderful 14-part oh documentary oh series. Oh, my God. Um, the, that was a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what, what's gonna? <laughs> but it's out now. I'll post. I'll post the link. I'll post links to everything Fantastic. that we're talking yeah. about here. One thing with the Selma production that was a controversy. Well, I guess a couple things, but one of the ones in relation to other media that exists was her portrayal of Lyndon B. Johnson in the film. Hmm. My off. I, I don't know what you're about to say. Okay, <laughs> I really liked it. I really enjoyed her particular portrayal of him. I thought the actor was incredible. I thought you see a lot of LBJs out there <laughs> these days, and a lot of them are kind of phoning it in, both yeah. on looks and tone. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I want to, I want to see more of him as yeah. LBJ. But go on. The in the movie, the the controversy that some people had, Tint Spielberg, <laughs> was that he was too aggressively against Martin Luther King. Like mm. he was propped up as an obstructionist towards Martin Luther King oh, okay. to okay. create villainy and conflict in the film to give him an opposition. And there are people that work directly with Lyndon B. Johnson, various people around him that after the movie came out, they were like, hey, that's not actually how it was. And then there are other people that are like, hey, this is fictional she's presenting a view on it and also right she's, this is she, not a documentary she's not a historian she's this is she's not a documentarian she's not a librarian she's not the custodian of anybody's legacy right and she was open about that also she was trying to make a point that there are tons of movies about white people coming in and saving the day and it's like this isn't about lbj Right. Coming in and signing the bill that I, changes everything. From my totally illiterate uh, perspective here on the events of it, they presented him playing the very safe middle, hands out of it. Right. You guys let it go. So he has to be in there. It has to be some escalation of, of, of drama there. That has got to be the backbone of what is accomplished over the events yeah. of the film, which only covers a three-month period. Yeah. This is about what happened at Selma. This is about remembering why Selma is so important, a linchpin, yeah. and actually getting the 1965 Civil Rights Act signed. That's what this movie is about, not not LBJ. <laughs> he, in fact, he had a movie uh, come out a couple years ago, okay? Yeah. This isn't about LBJ. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, there were there, the, the, like, a lot of LBJ out there. <laughs> Sorry, I just got to say it's again. MLK in here. <laughs> There's a lot of LBJ out there and not enough MLK. <laughs> The other thing that was controversial in this film was how LBJ 
put Hoover and the FBI on watching him and keeping tabs on him and all that stuff. Right. There's was a running, done, yeah. There's a running thematic through it about of like actually setting up a scene. It'll be like a, the insignia of a of a FBI document about the surveillance. Do you have any light to shed on that? Yeah, at there, all? yeah. Hoover had been on MLK way before this, mm-hmm. so Bobby Kennedy was actually responsible for keeping tabs on him because they were worried because Martin Luther King Jr. was admittedly more of a democratic socialist. Socialism was Mm. lumped in with communism. And of course, this is the time where in the 60s, people are very concerned about this. So he was lumped in with that COINTELPRO program that we had talked about that was watching Charles Manson. Right. And chaos. And sowing seeds of chaos in different communities and, and leaders and whatnot. So the FBI was all about that. This goes into the other controversy, I guess, that we can get into in relation to this movie and his life, which is the questions of infidelity with ah, Martin Luther yeah. King Jr. So yeah, like I said, Robert Kennedy- I was shocked. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big linchpin in, in the film. He, uh, they, they, they say, they present in the film that he comes under question by his wife of infidelity in this three-month period, and he actually misses Bloody Sunday, one of the, fir- the first violent- uh, attempt across the bridge. Yeah, um, that he misses that march because he is back home. I must be with my family. Is a kind of memorable quote they give him on the phone, mm-hmm. explaining to his other leaders why he can't be there. So I've, you know, I've never really known where to put any of this in my mind. Yeah, um, and so I choose not to honestly. Mm-hmm. And so it was so shocking to me that Selma presents it. And says, no, he was dealing with this at the time. Yeah. Um, so please yeah, set, the, shed the, some light on this for me. The Taylor. CIA and FBI, they, they had been wiretapping him in 63 after the March on DC, where they're like, we got to watch this guy. The, there's a famous civil rights leader that was alongside him who came out in his autobiography in 1989, Ralph Abernathy. And this was where the first instance of this going out to the public of like, oh yeah, he was womanizing or he had extramarital affairs. Not until 1989. Right. See, this is why, this is what I was saying earlier of like, it seems like it came out so much later. And at that point, I don't, I don't know, you know? Yeah. His, this guy's autobiography said things about it and people, you know, believed it. And then this guy backpedaled and was like, you're misconstruing my words and making more of a big deal about Uh it than I said it out to be. What we do know, though, was that the CIA and FBI were watching him and recording what he was saying and recording all his phone calls and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So after he wins the Nobel Peace Prize, there was an anonymous note with tapes sent to his wife and then sent to him. And it's unofficially dubbed the the suicide note because it was a threat and saying, you're done, you know what to do, basically. And that's what he interpreted it as, as like, here's the, the damning evidence quit the movement, stop what you're doing, return the Nobel Peace Prize, or kill yourself because there's going to be a lot. And I'll post a Good link. Lord. You can. Th- there's parts of it that, that have been declassified or figured out somehow that you can read. But it's written not to be perceived as the FBI, but obviously that's who it would be because who would have these tapes of him? Right. Coretta Scott King Wire is quoted text. as saying, yeah, she doesn't know what was on it. it sounds like a jumble. But obviously it didn't do anything because he didn't stop and yeah, then they didn't, didn't press further on these affairs. So some people think it was like, they were trying to think that they got him on something and then they didn't actually get him on anything. And so that's why he didn't stop or he just genuinely wasn't scared of that or it did happen, but they weren't going to push it any further How kind of thing because then they're corrupt. Then they're known as doing illegal activities. Right. If they they're then it's like, well, yep. how did is, you know, so all of that gets lost to history in terms of him not being at the Selma first March. And I don't have the exact 
citation of this. So this could also be speculation. But apparently, by a coin flip, it was determined as a part of the SCLC, which was the civil rights organization that he was the president of, that Hosea Williams would represent them at the head of the march, along with John Lewis Uh at the time. And then Martin Luther King would meet them halfway afterwards. He was still going to be with his congregation in Atlanta. And then, of course, Bloody Sunday happens. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to come I have to go for the yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, thing. So and I didn't know I didn't know there were several attempts. I always yeah. knew I always knew they marched from Selma to Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Well, in the three months, man, a few there was a, like a terrorist bombing where some children were killed. Uh, yeah. And there were three attempts to cross this bridge. Uh, I did not. I mean, I, and even Bloody Sunday I knew about, but I, I, I didn't remember that it was several attempts that it was that Bloody Sunday didn't just happen along the way or somewhere, of, you know, to that amalgamation of event. You know, it's so yeah. Man, public school is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> they just tell you that he said, "I have a dream," <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, he's, so he was appointed the leader of uh, civil rights, and he won. And so moving on to Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, oh, preordained. Uh, okay, cool. No, yeah. no. Uh, well, let me let me just give you kind of a, a refresher on some of that stuff, because I was please. I was uh, I, I'm not as familiar with all of the intricacies of his life in this span of time preceding this. But I think showing how much he advocated nonviolence yeah. is huge. Yeah. And also how much violence was instituted against him and millions and millions of people mm-hmm. in the South and in the North of the United States and how he just continued to hold ground and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And leading mm-hmm. up to this, why then this became the the catalyst for what everybody saw as his legacy. Um, it's also, we might be remiss to not mention that Malcolm X is involved. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he gets killed in this span of time. Yeah, I'll get months. into how he fits okay, into fantastic. that. Okay, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That was something that was like, a crazy, a crazy <laughs> element of this that I never imagined. But then yeah. it starts to come full circle of actually the trajectory of Malcolm X and MLK, what they thought of each other yeah. at the time, which is always something I've wondered about. And yeah. this puts that right up front and center for a few minutes. Yeah. I might miss, just so everybody's aware, some moments in this because it's all of you know American history in the 60s. Sorry, we weren't so there to experience yeah. their lives. But the big, the big moments that I think from my research that contributed to his life leading up to Selma would be starting out the bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama was the first big thing that he was spearheading Mm. and in charge of and pushing people to do. I mean, it was just crazy. Like people walking 14 miles, but but like reporters would come in and be like, oh yeah, African-Americans here, they are, you know, standing together for 381 days and businesses are not allowing them to do so. You know, it just, it escalated into this whole huge, crazy experience. It's kind of like looking at a, you know, holding a magnet up to another magnet and you can't yeah. see the repulsion, you yeah. know, like the, the force going on between the two, but you can feel it even though it's totally invisible. Imagine, insane. It's, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. But again, amazing that like people are not throwing bottles through windows and right. punching people and- They're just making a physical example of- yeah. Solidar of n- unmoving solidarity. Yeah, and that's it. And I mean, and ghostly for, in and a way. for over I mean, a I year. Only Im- yeah, <laughs> for three hundred and eighty-one days. Like, yeah, you would. I mean, it'd feel like walking around, and surely at the time, it'd feel like be walking around in an episode of the uh, the Twilight Zone. 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was un- they had to. It's a Twilight Zone plot. <laughs> <laughs> At this point in 1959 is when he visits India um, because he's obviously very inspired by Gandhi, but he actually went over there mm. and spoke with some people and saw all of that, and that bolstered his understanding and appreciation for uh-huh. exactly what he was about. I mean, and think about a, about a man that stood for so much and had so much... I mean, he's questioning morality at every step of the way, decisions in his life, but to be so willing to reach out and expand your empathy like that and really and really do the work and research on what this all means and what it's all for and be willing to see other cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And take that and 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 help purport all of that in the world. Yeah, Um, that's not. Most people like to just be right and pretend that they've always known they were right. Then <laughs> then then they've always been right and forever will be. Yeah. But, he had a bigger know, he had a bigger takes, he had a yeah. global cause yeah. that he was aware of. This is like a human effort. That's I mean honestly a big takeaway of the film is like well he was not just the leader of the civil rights movement in America. He was really raging a war against an oppressive machine that took power from anywhere it could take it from mm. anyone. Yeah. Uh, those without power will continue to lose power. Um, and he was just waging a war against that machinery in any way that he can. Mm-hmm. And being a black man in the South, a black preacher in the South, that was how he waged his war. And I mean, it's pretty incredible being being able to see your purview and what you can actually have a direct effect on and know how to imp- implement the goals that you want yeah. actually having the big picture result in mind. Yeah. And so with that, the next thing he says, they try to do a march in Albany, Georgia does not go well. He's jailed again. He was, I think it was 29 times over the course of his life that he got jailed <laughs> for doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I was lucky enough to go to the, uh, MLK museum. I think there's a museum in, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. And they have a lot of his uh, actual letters and writings um, and materials that he had with him in, in jail cells throughout the yeah. whole period. It was really fascinating to have those. Like, it was really it was amazing to just be in the presence of like that's his written word right there. That's the pen stroke. Uh, yeah. So anybody in Atlanta, it was a fantastic exhibit. But I went quite a long time ago. I don't know how it's changed since. Yeah. The continuing on with his marches and efforts, he, he's finding another place. Because obviously Albany, Georgia is not the place for where this needs to go. So Birmingham is the next spot where he's instituting marches and being involved, gets jailed again. One of his famous letters is from a Birmingham jail. Part of his genius and understanding is like, we don't just keep hammering home the one phrase idea. It's like, this isn't working. We've got to try something else. Mm -hmm. It's not working here. We're going to try it over there. People aren't responding to this. We're going to do this. The media is not picking up things here. What we are doing now is not the only way. How do we recontextualize our message in a different, how do we attack in a different way? A different different type of thought, you know, thought war, really. How do we frame the argument? How many different ways into this argument are there? And how do we actually state that physically in the public, nonviolently? Yeah, so with Birmingham then, there was something called the Children's March, where they where kids between oh, nine no. and eighteen it went <laughs> and they sent dogs and fire hoses and it was insane. Oh, God. And so people are like, oh, this is horrible. I didn't know that. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh my um, God. That's but horrible. again, he's like, nobody's <laughs> paying attention. 
some people might see it as exploitative, but it's like the kids are just as poorly treated as the adults right. in this place. In the, yeah, it's, don't pretend like they live in a different reality. Yeah. They're, they're right there. In the, and if here's thousands makes, of them who I are... I hear children's part, it makes sense on one degree, but then immediately the implications of that, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And it still didn't garner any attention. Yeah. It didn't get their it didn't get the right reaction. So how it, many people have to die? <laughs> all after this time. That's the, I mean, no, yeah. that's the, yeah. the, the, the honest to God like question here. Yeah. That's what's so crazy about this. It's we're we're still not even close to Selma. Yeah, we're not even anywhere close. <laughs> At this time in Birmingham. What year are we? <laughs> what year? Sixty-three. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. His motel and his brother's home was bombed uh. at this time. So he's feeling the mounting pressure of like, it's a ticking time bomb for him personally, because he is the face of this for most people. This is then in August of 63, when he says, well, we're going to get national attention. So this is when the March on DC happens. And again, you can see how I'm saying this is calculated and thought out and working to make a point by branching off of of different things. And it's not purely reactionary. Like Like they're, yes... They're attacking in different ways, but they're really thinking about what is the best next option? What is another, what is the next great idea here? What's another way to phrase this argument? Yeah, this is then obviously in support of the civil rights bill. This is the I have a dream speech, which was, (laughs) I mean, that was the thing. That's like regarded as one of the best speeches in recorded history of all time. I looked this up just because I, I'm always written interested. by Steven Spielberg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just want to see the fallout of these things <laughs> and what happens after. Cause this speech is one of the most famous things of all time. Oh yeah. And uh, it wasn't until the eighties when the head basketball coach of the university of Iowa was doing an interview because he was the first African American coach at that university and they asked if in this time, because he was growing up in this time, if he was involved in the civil rights movement at any point. And he was like, oh, yeah, I have the speech. And they're like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, Martin Luther King gave it to me. So this guy's name is <laughs> this guy's name is George Raveling. He also coached at Washington State and USC. He was 26 years old at the time. My he was hands just in my in my my head is in my hands right now. Yeah, <laughs> just, just head down. What this guy was like? I said he was he was 26 years old. He was visiting a friend in Wilmington, North Carolina. <laughs> on a lark, they were like, "Oh, this thing's happening in D.C. Should we go?" And the dad's like, "Yeah, go go check it out." So they go up there. Somebody It'll immediate- be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody immediately comes up to him and is like, hey, are you here to volunteer? And they were like, yeah, I guess so. So then he's like nine people away from Martin Luther King Jr. Oh on, on the podium when he's giving the speech. After it's done, uproar, people are moving around. He just walks up to MLK as he's folding it and putting it in his pocket. And he's like, hey, can I have that? And Martin Luther King Jr. just gives it to him. Oh my God. So then he's kept this for years and years and years and didn't tell anybody, just had it in his closet, folded up in a book like that. You wouldn't, don't keep it folded because then it's going to fall apart. It wasn't until this interview when he was like, oh yeah, I have it. He said, I mean, now it's framed or whatever, but the, the interesting thing is he's never sold it to anybody. He's not willing to sell it. He's like, it belongs to the people. I'm going to yeah. leave it in my family. I'm going to leave it with people that will appreciate it yeah. and keep it. The way you know it was just going to be in his pocket anyway. So yeah. somebody even offered it to him for three and a half million. 
Yeah, no, just either keep it or make sure it like uh, gets in the Smithsonian. Or yeah, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that's it. <laughs> like either like keep it, keep it, keep or it safer. Please put it on display like in Washington. Yeah, <laughs> forever um, and always untouched by the family or anybody. But just weird also that nobody wondered where the paper was. Maybe they just assumed <laughs> yes. it got thrown away. <laughs> how how incredible to like if you were lived during this time and then like 1980 whatever comes around and you just now have the thought of like. Oh, yeah, I guess it was written down. <laughs> right. What happened? No one's asked that question in how many years? Yeah. <laughs> but interestingly. It makes you all feel stupid for a second. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we didn't even ask. <laughs> all this stuff that involves him saying, I have a dream, and his thoughts on that is not on the paper. That was all improvised. Ah, how incredible. Yeah. Wow. So- oh, my God. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Wow. So the, even the piece, mm-hmm. the piece of it isn't even. Ah! <laughs> um, it's a magic trick. Yeah. This is incredible. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. After after the civil rights where he gives the speech, there is the KKK bombing in the Birmingham church, which is the four girls. Yeah. And galvanizes. Oh, yeah. People. This is like the unrest coming into. Do. Yeah. There. Yeah. There needs to be federal action. Yeah. Kennedy is assassinated. LBJ becomes president. This is when the civil rights bill and then act Charles is Manson's passed. on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Shelby's building race cars. 1964 is insane. It's a crazy time. <laughs> also, then he wins the Nobel Peace Prize after this. At this point, he wants the voting rights bill from LBJ. And now right. we're going into Selma where he says not yet. I just can't imagine, like, all of that is leading up to this. And it's about now, because, see, they got the civil rights, so he's not, but we're see, still that, not there. That is that is the rights. shortcoming of Selma, the film, is you don't kind of really understand exactly where this sits mm-hmm. in his, he like, the opening scene is him winning the Nobel Peace Prize. So you, already there is, all, we're past I Have a Dream, we're in a different part here, where are we? And so yeah. you don't quite bring all that baggage all the way there. Yeah. And you kind of have to have it all symbolized in the bombing of the church girls and the attempts on the bridge. Actually, yeah. how many attempts it ta- it took to get this and the little minutia events that it let that led up to that. Yeah. That moment right there in that little town. Um so that's the one thing you don't quite get with Salma is exactly everything it took to yeah. get to get to that moment. You yeah. get an idea of it and they try to clue you in the best they can. And like I said, there's job, tons but... of other marches and riots and people dying unnecessarily in the street and injustices and boycotts and sit-ins and like all of that is also happening within this time frame. In Selma, since we teased it, uh, Malcolm X actually came to visit in Selma, though Martin Luther King was not there because he was on the march. So he met with Coretta Scott King and talked about Martin Luther King Jr. And this is in the efforts. film, and this feels like such a contrived fake <laughs> scene, but apparently it's like 100% real. No, it happened, It's yeah. incredible. And it's crazy because at this point, Malcolm X is being more persuaded toward the peaceful protest, nonviolent yeah. resistance. He says he's been enlightened to another way of thinking. He's been mm-hmm. shown the way, you know, and I, and I, it only beckoned to me now. It's like, well, now I want to research, you know, Malcolm X and I don't know enough about him and I don't, yeah. I don't know enough about, they do a great job of like showing that dynamic between the two of them would have been like at mm-hmm. that time. But it doesn't, again, again, with all of everything it took to get to, I have a dream in the Nobel peace prize, you don't get all of the, all of the baggage 
Um, and he, and he's ahead of that message saying, basically, I, you know, I don't want my movement to actually be the way this goes. I think you guys are yeah. right. I need to use my momentum in a way that is helpful for you. Yeah. Um, I am the, I am the yin and the yang. Yes, I am the counterpoint. Exactly. This is, this is what I have to give. Actually, you're right. I, I hear that this is how we can direct this energy into, into your movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I, I'm only, I'm only just like, what? What enlightened, you know, what 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 actually yeah. drove Malcolm X to be able to make that kind of decision? I mean, that takes some that takes a lot. Yeah. Especially from somebody whose ideology is that. I mean, I mean, he's is people call him okay radical. <laughs> Malcolm X is a yeah. legit radical. So yeah. it, it it only beckons to me like what really changed his mind. But yeah. Um that's well, some, I that's mean, and unfortunately, we wish uh we could know more. He gets he, killed he, in this very same shortly time yeah, after yeah. Uh, he was 39 years old immediately after this in 1965 in Watts in Los Angeles there was a 6 day riot with police Martin Luther King goes down Stokey Carmichael is another radical voice that's coming up on the scene saying this mm-hmm. is taking way too long Martin Luther King Jr like we can't be doing these small movements in this peaceful whatever yeah. it's like we need to to fight back at this point, King realizes his message is not just for the South. There's just as much going on in the North where people think that everything is fine and segregation has sol- you know, desegregation has solved everything. Right. So he moves to Chicago in 1966 and lives in these areas with these people. There's also a rally with 50,000 people that showed up against housing discrimination. Johnson sends a third bill to Congress for housing. It doesn't go through. There's more riots. There's more violence in the northern cities. In 67, he speaks out against the Vietnam War. He speaks out against poverty in general and was going to have this poor people's campaign, which was going to be people camping out on the mall in D.C., and that's supposed to begin in 68. He goes to speak in Memphis for workers' rights. Riot breaks out before he gets there, so he reschedules for a peaceful one. He's like, no, 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 this isn't how we do business. And then that's when he gets shot at the motel in Memphis. And he is also 39 years old when this happens. It's so crazy because also immediately after this, there are riots in more than 100 cities. LBJ takes federal action and 50,000 troops are sent out via the president. LBJ does get the Fair Housing Act signed in 68. And then in 71, cities begin begin to honor his day. And in 83, Reagan signs it as a national holiday. The the thing that I saw in an interview with Ava, the director of Selma, mm-hmm. she was talking about how it's so crazy because as far as the Selma things are concerned, he wasn't there for the first one, violence and bloodshed, shows up to the second one. I mean, they're going to let him go through, but it's like it's going to be absolute hell or something. Is it? There's a trap for it's them over right. the bridge yeah. or they don't have the proper permits. They don't have the proper permits or some such thing. And so he says hold on, we're going to turn around and go back, and people go back. She's saying, I don't think there's... It's like people were trusting one person. Like, he was the voice and face of this. And nowadays, all of the movements and all of the rebellions and all of these things are so decentralized to say, oh, yeah, there's one guy standing at the front of thousands of people who are going to march, and he just turns around and is like, no, we're not going to do this. And everybody's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. We're not, you know, they didn't surge past him. They didn't question him. They just said, he's got us this far. 
he has the wherewithal and knows what's going on and we're going to keep following him and not attack people and not i mean that is a, most of his legacy in being able to lead people to be the face of of, of something i mean yeah. the film doesn't shy away from going to from saying no i cannot i cannot hide yeah, um, they, there's multiple attempts where they're you know security is trying to like well don't do the last leg of the you know if you yeah if you, yeah if you do in a car this part of it you know <laughs> I feel like it, it's he's like, no it it the power behind it is the solidarity of mm-hmm. it exactly what you you've just uh, touched on yeah and he knows the the power of that so if he want if he leads these hundreds and hundreds of people right into a trap. What's tomorrow look like? He's beaten and broken on the news or he's yeah. dead. If it's not a trap, they stood down. So why can't we stand down? That's I think that's kind of the thought there. They stood down, and I'm not unsure of the motives. Maybe we stand down. Not letting the pressure get... I mean, I, I can't imagine the weight on really on that man's shoulders right there on that bridge. The police have cleared the way, and you yeah. have hundreds of people who are willing to lockstep with you, whatever move you make. You get on one knee, they get down on one. Is this right? Is taking one more step right? The sobriety, the wherewithal that that is, that, that I mean, it's... Yeah. I think it's also no words. culminated in his addressing of individual people as well, because he is the face of a giant movement where you could get caught up in the weeds of... Oh, I have to save everybody's like he was on a global mission, but he was also so intuitive to individuals and how they contributed to the larger scope of what he was trying to accomplish and what he believed in. And so I'll post a link to an interview that I found, but there was this actress. Well, she's still an actress, but Nichelle Nichols. This was in 1967. So for some context of what's going on. Mm -hmm. This is after Selma. This is after all this. She was the character Uhura in Star Trek, and she had just done one season that had come out in 67. She is an African-American lady who is one of the key characters and is on the bridge of the ship mm-hmm. and has responsibility and control. And in later seasons, was the first interracial kiss on television. Wow. She was thinking of changing her mind And she was like, well, this isn't really what I need to do. I'm going to go back to musical theater. That's where she was before. She said she was at some sort of benefit in Beverly Hills. She thinks it was for the NAACP. And somebody comes up to her and is like, hey, your biggest fan wants to talk to you. And she was like, okay, whatever. She turns around and she's like, she sees and she's like, well, whoever this fan is, they're going to have to wait because Martin Luther King <laughs> is walking towards me. Oh, my God. And he's God. like, hey, it's me. Oh, my God. He said, "Your Star Trek is the only show that we are going to let our kids stay up late to watch because it's past their bedtime. <gasps> oh and he's my like, God. I appreciate like you're doing so much good for everyone. Like, this is an incredible role. And keep doing it like you're our inspiration you're in quotes of what she says you are our image of what where we're going you're 300 years from now you know wow. because it's like this is yes. a show set in the future yes. he's like this yes. is what we're looking for yes and she says i don't she's like i don't know how i got the courage but she was like well you know this is going to be my last season like i'm thinking of leaving and he said like it was the most serious he ever got oh my gosh it was like don't you understand for the first time we're seen as we should be seen. You don't have a black role. You have an equal role. Yes. It's like this, like if you go, they could replace you with 
a white dude or an alien or anything. Yes, yes, like this yes. is the most important thing for us. Like it affects my family. It affects everybody. Like, Please. You do not understand the meaning you have in the world. Like, yeah. That, and, and it's, that's how he was able to connect. The beautiful. I mean, it's so beautiful. You really do not ha have an idea of the impact you really have. I mean, I mean, and with social media these days, the way that we're all connected throughout the world, it's, it's absolutely insane to think that you live by yourself you don't affect anyone and nobody affects you. Yeah. Uh, absolutely not. Even the most unseen person in the world can probably have an effect on somebody on the other side of the country, on the other side of the world. It's absolutely, people discount themselves and they're always the first to discount themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, that, this, this actress has no idea that she's waging that war <laughs> alongside MLK. Yeah. She has no, she's just thinking, well, I don't know. I might get in a different part on another thing or yeah. like, maybe I'm thinking not doing just the, the minutia of her own, own life. She has no idea how inspiring yeah. that is to the children of MLK to MLK himself. Yeah. That's staggering. You're just, you're just yeah. an actress. But you're not just an actress. Yeah, she started a foundation and she was heavily involved in NASA afterwards. And she was involved in the recruitment of Sally Ride. Look at that. And, you know, thousands of women looked at her as it like Whoopi Goldberg was like, yeah, she was my inspiration for getting into this. Man. And she said, yeah, that was that was when like the world. You never know who's side. looking at you. You yeah. never know who who you're inspiring or who you might be letting down or, you know, like yeah. you really have no idea to the extent of which you are visible and impact the people in this world. Yeah, it's I mean that how incredible. Yeah. And Martin Luther King Jr. was a Star Trek fan. So <laughs> the pop culture is abound. You never knew. We're bringing it to you every yeah. week. Taylor, where can they reach us? At IlliteratePod on Instagram. Please, if, God. If you have any questions, comments, or curse words. Get or, that sticker. Get it. Yeah, if you want a free sticker, give us a message. And thank you all for listening. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Taylor. And we will see you all next week.